All right, all you friendly people, go ahead and uh, start to make your way back to your seat. It's great to uh, come together today and worship the Lord. You know, uh, a few years ago, uh, the Lord brought the Arledge family to our church and gave them as a gift to us, and uh, Craig is a great brother and has a passion for small groups, so I asked him to take a couple minutes this morning and share with us why he's so passionate about all of us being involved in small groups. Thanks, Craig. Good morning. Well, I know that everyone out here belongs in one of the next two groups that I'm going to mention. You're either in a small group or you're not in a small group. <laughs> and then I'm going to guess that at least 99% of you belong to the third group, and that's the one that's probably tired of hearing about small groups. <laughs> or there's a reason people keep coming up here and talking about them, and uh, I like them so much I'm in two. Uh, you know, just get in one. You don't have to get in two. That takes years of experience. But um, <clears throat> I just want to tell you a little bit, in case you don't really know what group life is like, I want to tell you a little bit about it. It's more than just getting together and meeting once a week. That's a part of it. And there's a lot that happens there that's important. Uh, but some of the other, you know, some of the things, including that group meeting, as well as just spending our lives together and the community that we share, um, you know, we do. We seek Jesus together. We study the Bible together. We pray together. Um, sometimes we get together and eat, play, and we always laugh together, sometimes a lot. <laughs> um, we worship together and, uh, and share worship music together. And sometimes we start doing that, and we don't know where to stop. Last Wednesday night, we had two songs planned, and I believe the Holy Spirit just sort of jumped in, and eight songs later, we got on with our meeting. And, but um, it was a great time, and everyone there, I believe, just needed that. Um, you know, sometimes we cry and we mourn together, and uh, it's not all good times. It's like any family. There's going to be challenges. Um, there's times that we've done or said things to even hurt each other, and um, that's not intentional like in any family. But when you're doing life together, you know it can be messy sometimes. It's, it's not all laughs. Um, but one thing we've done is we've earned the right to speak into each other's lives. Sometimes uh, we correct each other. And uh, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And we've even learned what our kids' strengths and weaknesses are. <laughs> There's uh, one of my sisters out here <laughs> right now. Um, we carry each other's burdens when that's necessary. And uh, a lot of times, you know, being a parent uh, can present unique challenges, especially as the kids get older and older. Uh, sometimes the challenges can get bigger. We try not to judge each other, but we're human, we're not perfect. But one thing we know is that we don't have to hide from each other. We can reveal ourselves. We truly are a family. Um, when I was uh, coming up with these words, God was kind of telling me what to say. I was reminded of an old, the title, not the movie itself, but the title to an old Clint Eastwood movie. And uh, it reminds me of small group life. Uh, if you remember the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if I've just talked some of you out of being in a small group, that wasn't the intention. Um, 
before you decide whether or not to be in a small group, you know, some of us might say, man, my relationship with Jesus is so good. I don't need all that. I don't need other people. And even if you really truly believe that, uh, I think you're wrong. But, <laughs> but even if you really do believe that, I think the question to ask is, is there someone, somewhere, someone in a group that needs you? And I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, in John 15, uh, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And I think what we have to ask ourselves are, could we be the branch that someone else needs before they start bearing fruit in their life? And that's the question that, uh, that I think you have to ask. Um, you know, I love this church, and every one of the pastors here have, have meant something special to me in, in one way or another. And uh, just coming here and the, the, the talent that comes up here every, every weekend and, and plays these songs and allows us to, to worship together. Um, my wife and I, we like to travel. We hope to even do more of that as the years go by. But, you know, we both, I think, we really miss uh, when we're not here on the weekend and it leaves sort of a void. But even if I came to all three celebrations and I came early and left late, and uh, there would still be something missing that can't be met during this time. And that's something is I believe you can only get through uh, life and community with other brothers and sisters. And I think that it takes a small group life to, to accomplish that. So thank you for listening. Thanks, man. Yeah, amen. And it's a, a great time right now, if you're not in a group, to jump into a group as we're starting a new uh, season of emphasis here at New Life, and um, I hope that you will do that also. This is what that little devotional guide looks like that Pastor Brian referred to earlier. I think, I think five or six hundred of you have these already, but it starts today, so I hope that you'll drop by the counter out there and uh, pick up one of those, all right? Well, uh, today does mark the beginning, as Craig and Pastor Brian and others have mentioned, of, of our 40-day spiritual adventure that we believe God wants to lead us on, and during this six-week stretch, we're asking God, the Holy Spirit, to pour His love into our hearts and fill us up to the brim so that when we move around a little bit, it spills out onto those around us, our friends and neighbors and co-workers and those we go to school with, and so that's what we're asking God for. Our theme verse for the series is found in 1 John 4.19, very simple, we love because He first loved us. Would you say that with me? We love because he first loved us. Of course, love is a prevalent theme in our culture. Our movies, TV shows, our poetry, art books, our music all speak a lot about love, don't they? In fact, uh, thinking about music, I'd like you right now to call to mind a love song that's on your playlist, okay? One that you enjoy listening to, one that you know the words, the lyrics to, Maybe you can even hear the soundtrack playing in your mind right now. Got it? All right. How many of you, is it from the 50s or 60s? Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if your song is from the 70s or, God forbid, the 80s. Okay. How about from the 90s or 2000s? How about from the last decade or so? All right. Good. Well... That's very interesting. Now, uh, turn to your neighbor and just sing a few bars of that to the person next to you. No, don't do that. Just share the title of the song with them, okay? What's the title? 
I mean, you can hum a few bars if you want, I guess. All right, well, you know, think about that song for a minute. Think about the lyrics. Think about what it's saying. How, how does it describe love? Come back, come back. How does it describe love? Does it talk about how that person makes you feel when you're around them? Is it about the pain of being abandoned by your lover? Is it a country song about drowning out your sorrows after your baby has said goodbye and walked out the door? And you know what happens when you play country music backwards, right? You get your truck back, you get your girl back, you get your gun back, you get your life back. I think more country music ought to be played backwards. Love. Love is a many-splendored thing. Love makes the world go round. Lo what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that our culture is obsessed by love. And as humans, we all have a deep need to love and to be loved, right? There's a fair amount of confusion, though, I would say, about love in our culture. Would you agree with that? One all-too-common storyline in books and TV shows and movies kind of goes like this. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl are attracted to each other. Boy and girl go to bed together. Boy and girl wake up and find out each other's names. Boy and girl struggle to figure out if there's more to build their relationship on than just sex. Boy and girl become disillusioned and disappointed with each other. Boy and girl split up. Boy meets new girl. And the cycle just kind of repeats itself endlessly on and on. Well, what I'm going to contend today and what I believe the Bible makes a very strong case for is this, that love begins with God and finds its source in God, that God is love. I'm talking about true love now, true, lasting, committed, covenant love begins with God. Three months ago, I was at home uh, recovering from some minor surgery, sitting on my back porch in my glider there. It was about all I could do because I, I was recovering from surgery, so I was kind of confined. It was a beautiful day outside, and I was just kind of looking at the scenery and listening to God and praying. And all of a sudden, uh, a verse from the scriptures kind of came exploding into my mind and crashing down into my heart, and it's a very familiar one, and it's the verse where Jesus said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I just kind of let it linger there for a few moments and started to mull that over. And I got the sense that it wasn't just for me, that I needed to think about that, but that it was for all of us. Love your neighbor as yourself. And as I thought about it, I, I had this strong impression. You ever had that? It felt like it was from the Lord. Some thoughts began to form in my mind around this notion of loving our neighbors and kind of went like this, Steve, Steve, now it's time. Now it's time to emphasize this in the body of New Life Church because now it can be worship. Our love for other people can be worship to Christ because we spent the last three and a half years exploring the gospel of Jesus Christ, this wonderful message of Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection and that message is sinking down deeper into so many of our hearts, and it's having this effect of churning up desire and passion, which needs an outlet, and that outlet is this, love for our neighbors as ourselves. And now it can be worship, because so many of us get the gospel on a deep level. Now it can be 
not just duty or obligation or doing it out of guilt or to try to be a better Christian. Now it can be actually worship to Jesus Christ. Now is the time to emphasize this because now our acts of love can actually be worship. And so when I get excited, I start to rock faster, okay? I get animated and my, so the glider's going like this, you know, and, and I thought, you know, I wonder if this is really from the Lord because I've had some ideas in my life that turned out to be really harebrained ideas. So I thought, I better test this out. So I got my cell phone and I started calling up people in our church and I said, hey, let me talk to you about this. I feel like God's laid this on my heart and it's about loving our neighbors and it's about gospel passion churning in us and I laid it all out and I, and I just say, does this resonate with you? Is there anything about this that... That, that resonates with something in your heart. And then after I recovered, I took some people out for coffee and for lunch and talked with our staff team about this. And, and the more I talked about this, the more people were nodding their heads saying, yeah, yeah, that does resonate with me. It does seem like we're ready now to really take a foray into this whole notion of loving our neighbors as ourselves because now it can be worship. And now it can be a sustained drive and not just a short burst of energy that flares up for a few days or weeks and then goes away because our congregation is getting the gospel more and more. As best I can tell, my conclusion is this. The Lord is calling this church into a season of loving our neighbors in creative, practical, and hopefully redemptive ways and doing so not as a religious obligation or duty, but as a response from the heart to the love of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so where do we start with this here in our first week? Do we all just run out today and start baking things to give away and shoveling people's driveways and serving at soup kitchens and visiting rest homes and paying for other people's meals like a new lifer did for me last night and the server came back with my card and a little note that says, love works, your meal is covered. <laughs> Some of you are already doing those things and it's, it's already in your lifestyle. I praise God for that. But I'm not sure that that's where we're supposed to start today. I think that we need to start this emphasis by putting the focus where the Bible puts it, and that is on God's love for us. We love, why? Because he first loved us. The great love of God. We love because he first loved us. Don't just skip over that. Don't think it doesn't matter why we love others or what our motives are. It does matter. It matters immensely. It can mean the difference between grinding out love works as a duty or offering love works to our Savior as worship. It can mean the difference between doing good works to glorify you or to glorify God. And so I, I feel compelled to begin this adventure not talking about our love for others, and we'll get there. We'll talk about that a lot in the next few weeks. But with God's enormous, mysterious, unfathomable and even sometimes perplexing love for us. Now, I believe God's love is like the ocean. There's a shallow part where the waves are lapping up on the beach, and you can go down and stick your toe into it. And then there's the vast depths where you could spend years diving and exploring and discovering new things and not even feel like you've scratched the surface. But I do think there's a challenge for us in this. A huge challenge and it's this we've been swimming in another ocean and I'm talking about the ocean of our culture we're all swimming around in the ocean of the American culture are we not 
And it's possible and even likely that our notions of God's love have been somehow shaped by our culture. It's very easy to just kind of take the prevailing notion of what love is and superimpose it onto God and say, well, that must be what God's love is like. It's what I see in the movies or what I hear in in the music of our culture. I think when we talk about God's love, we need to ask, where do we find a portrayal and description of his love that's accurate that we can align our views with? And of course, at New Life, our answer here has always been the same. It's the Bible, the word of God that tells us the truth about all of life. And so that's where we'll go today. And you can pull the study guide out of your worship folder. I want to try to describe six dimensions or perspectives of the love of God from what the Bible reveals. And it's, it's not going to do justice to it, believe me. But let's start here. Let's, let's start by acknowledging that the Bible tells us that God's love is expansive in its scope. What I mean by that is God's love is big, it's huge, it's immense, it's limitless, like the ocean, or like the vast expanse of space when you look up into the night sky. That's the testimony of the writers of the Bible, and sometimes they struggle to find language to describe the immense, huge, expansive love of God, like in Paul's famous prayer recorded in Ephesians 3, where he wrote this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, talking about praying from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, now listen, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a mouthful of a prayer. I think of my prayers, you know, God, help me make it through the day. (laughs) I have a lot of growing to do. Paul is trying hard to describe the love of God, but he's bumping up against the limits of human language, isn't he? He prayed these Christians would be given the ability to know the unknowable love of God, to grasp at least a portion of it while not being able to fully grasp it. He describes God's love as having many dimensions, expanding out in in all directions. You see that? I pray you'll be able to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. You know what he's saying? God's love is big. It's broad. How, How broad? Let's ask, how broad is God's love? Earlier in Ephesians, Paul tells us that God's love is so broad that it reaches out to both ends of the spectrum to bring together groups of people who were so different, polar opposites, who actually hated and despised each other, the Jews and the Gentiles. God's love reached out over here to the Jewish folks and reached out over here to the Gentiles and brought them together into one spiritual family. They were polar opposites on the relationship scale. But Christ's love, God's love, reached out to both of them and demolished the dividing wall of hostility that was between them. That tells me that God's love is broader than my love. It reaches further than my love. God loves the people that you may hate today. Did you know that? Did you know that God loves Republicans and Democrats? He does. Did you know that God loves black people and white people? 
Did you know that God loves heterosexual people and homosexual people? Did you know that God loves radical Muslim militants and flag-waving, gun-toting patriots who bleed red, white, and blue? Did you know that God, this is unfathomable, loves Buckeye fans and Michigan fans? I mean, that's a broad kind of love. Now listen, I'm not saying that God approves of all the activity that goes on underneath those banners. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying His love and compassion reaches way out to to folks at both ends of any spectrum you might want to choose. Political, economic, social, ideological, racial. God's love is broad and it does us good to ponder the breadth of the love of God, doesn't it? How about the length of God's love? Well, in terms of length of time or duration, in Ephesians 1, it says that God chose people before the foundation of the world. And in Ephesians 3, it tells us He's going to love those people and express His kindness to them all throughout eternity. So from eternity past to eternity future, that's a long time to love people when we struggle to love people for a few years or months or weeks. How high is God's love? Paul told his readers that God's love has lifted them up into the stratosphere and seated them with Christ in heavenly places. That's high. That's the right kind of getting high. That's elevation. And how deep is God's love? Well, God's love is so deep that he reaches down into the pit of despair and sin and degradation and plucks guilty sinners out and sets their feet on a solid place and gives them a firm foundation for their lives. Amen? God's love is broad and long and high and deep, multidimensional, expansive, vast. That's the love of God. God's love is deep in another way, too. Number two, it is complex. It's exquisite in its complexity. What are you talking about? You know, as a pastor, there's something I encounter quite a bit that saddens me, and it's this, Christians who are mad at God. It seems like I've had more conversations in the last few weeks with people who have become disappointed or disenchanted with God or even angry with God. Sometimes people verbalize it, other times they think that wouldn't be the Christian thing to do, so they just kind of suppress it and stuff it down, but I can see it on their faces. They're thinking this, if God is a God of love, why is my life turning out the way that it is? Did I miss something? Am I doing something wrong? Why are my circumstances piling up against me? I see other Christians who seem to be happy and things are turning out well for them, but for whatever reason, it's just not working for me. You ever had that thought? Or know someone who's had that thought? And that doubt can turn into kind of a disenchantment with God or even a sullen, brooding kind of anger. Now listen, I don't, underst- I don't claim to understand all that God does and why he does it, but I am learning this. God's love is so simple, a child can, can understand it, but it's also very, very complex. There's a shallow end, and there's deep water. And we need to realize that God's love is not an ironclad promise to shield us from all unpleasant circumstances and hardship. What is love, anyway? I mean, in its purest form, what is love? Isn't love self-sacrifice for the highest good of another person? And who gets to determine what that highest good is? Who gets to determine that? 
Well, God does, right? What he deems to be our highest good is our highest good. And so our loving Father in heaven is not averse to allowing hardship into our lives in this fallen world, sometimes to test us, sometimes to show his strength in our weakness, sometimes to purify our hearts, sometimes to topple our idols, sometimes to discipline us, endure hardship as discipline, it says. Sometimes he allows hardship into our lives to cause us to reach out to him in desperation. God, I need you! Sometimes to make us long for heaven. (laughs) Sometimes to reveal to us something new about himself. Sometimes to glorify himself. Sometimes he lets hard things come into our lives because he's got a miracle he's going to perform. He's going to bring glory to himself. Sometimes he allows it to let God's people or give God's people an opportunity to minister to us. And sometimes he allows difficulty into our lives because he's preparing us for a ministry to other people at some point down the road. Sometimes he allows difficulty and hardship in our lives to show demons that he is worthy of being served apart from all of his gifts, like with Job. And sometimes he's doing all of those things and a hundred others, but always, always he allows hardship into our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. That's the highest good, that you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in his likeness. One of the most enlightening psalms ever written about the love of God is Psalm 107. And the last verse says this, Psalm 107, 43, whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And that word consider is an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to puzzle over, to study, to peer into, to be perplexed by, to explore. Study the steadfast love of the Lord. And that's the Hebrew word chesed, the covenant love of God. Study it, he says. Look at it. Stare at it especially if you've become disillusioned and disenchanted with God, especially if you're one of those who's mad at God. Study his love deeply as it's revealed in the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Get in a group where you're talking about this with with other people so you're not just, you know, you don't just have your own thoughts about it. Pick up a copy of C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Problem of Pain, or Philip Yancey's book, disappointment with God that have helped so many. Why? Because God's love is exquisite in its complexity, and the more you comprehend its true nature, the more your anger and disappointment with God are going to dissipate, and you'll find your heart becoming softened towards Him once again. God's love is complex. It's also, number three, extreme in its sacrifice. Listen to the words of Paul. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still awesome, no, while we were still sinners, unimpressive, Christ died for us. You know, when the Bible writers want to answer the question, how do we know if God loves us, the Bible writers always point us to one single event. What is it? The cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Always. That's it. 
If you want to know how much God loves you, the Bible says, look at the cross where Jesus stretched out his arms and bore your sin and died for you on the cross. That's the measure of God's love for you. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, John Rose. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath remover for our sins. But why? I mean, people might wonder that question. Why? Why is Jesus dying on the cross the supreme expression of God's love for us? Well, think about that. Here's why I believe. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of love because it solved our ultimate problem. Our ultimate problem. And we know human beings face a number of complex problems and thorny issues, right? Economic meltdown, violence, poverty, racial tensions, global terrorism, family breakdown, moral disintegration in our culture, the spread of disease. All of those are very thorny issues that pose significant problems and they need to be looked at and addressed. But, but from the standpoint of God's word, all of those problems pale in comparison with the one huge, big, overarching problem that humanity is alienated from God. That's the big problem. And that problem gives rise directly or indirectly to all the other problems that we talked about. If we focus on, on those problems while ignoring the one main problem, it's kind of like the death row inmate who's all upset because he's got a hangnail. It's like, yeah, that's a problem, but that's not your main problem. <laughs> and our main problem as, as human beings is that we are alienated, separated from a holy God. And it's a problem we couldn't solve, right? God unilaterally solved humanity's biggest problem. And it took suffering and blood and death to do it. Motivated by love, God took it upon himself to bridge the gap and make reconciliation happen for human beings. Never forget this. Never forget that God's love is extreme in its sacrifice. It is. Let's not make the common mistake that many people make of judging the sincerity of God's love for us by what happened yesterday or what happened last week or what happened last month or what happened 30 years ago. That's not the measure of God's love for you. Not, not in the Bible. Always think about how God sent his son to come and bear your sin, your pride, your self-righteousness, your lust, your anger. He took all that Jesus did on himself and paid the price for your sin and mine so that we could be reconciled to God. God did that. And when you stare at that for a while, when you stare at that old rugged cross, realize that that's the mark of Christ's love for you. That's it. Jesus the Son bore all our sins in his body. He willingly endured the height of humiliation. That's the measure of true love. Well, I hope by this point in the sermon, you not only know in your head that God loves you, but you're starting to feel it in your heart and sense it. Yeah, yeah, God, God loves me. That brings me to my next point, which is God's love is experiential in its comprehension. God's love is to be experienced. Now, 
I want to be careful here, but I'm convinced there is an experiential component to the love of God. What I mean by that is that God offers himself to his people in such a way that they feel loved. Not just know it, but feel and sense they are loved in their heart of hearts, and they become satisfied by him. Now, you know this is true. It's one thing to know in your head, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it's another thing to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? To experience it. There's a difference there. It's about 20 inches or so, right? From here to here. I know it up here, but do I sense it and feel it down here to where I know God loves me? No one can take that away. What Paul told the Ephesians, he was praying for them, is that they would know the love of Christ. And he wasn't talking about knowing some facts in your head. He used a word that pictured intimacy, personal first-hand experiential knowledge. Now, let me give you an example. I know my wife's delicious cherry dump cake. I know it not because I could pick it out of a lineup, not because I've read the box and I know what ingredients are in it. I know it not because I've seen pictures of it or because it was recommended, recommended to me by someone else. I know it because I've tasted it, and it's good. You do not want to go the remainder of your life and not have a bite of my wife's delicious cherry dump cake. I have personal, firsthand, experiential knowledge of that dessert. But that's not the best illustration of what I'm talking about. Let me take it further. I know my wife. I know my wife in a way that I don't know any other woman on the planet. I know my wife because I have had the Shirley experience. <laughs> I have for 30 years. Up close, personal, life on life. I know what that look means. <laughs> I know what that laugh reveals. I know what makes her happy, sad, angry, flustered, surprised, excited, hopeful. I know when she's about to cry, and I know when she's already cried. I know what upsets her. I know what brings her great joy. We've shared highs and lows, joys and disappointments, 30 years of memories, three children. I know my wife, and not just up here in my head. I have personal, firsthand experience of her. That's the way that God wants you to know his love. Not a fact. Oh, yeah, I get that. No, he, he wants you to sense it and feel it deep in your bones so that you know, I'm loved by God and nothing's going to change that. How does that happen? Because I know many of you struggle with that. You struggle with feeling loved by God. How does that happen? Taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that tells us that this is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. To take that fact that you know in your head and drop it down into your heart so that you believe it at a deep level. It can't be orchestrated by me. I wish I could. Come and flip a switch and all of you, all of a sudden the light comes on and you get it. It can't be manufactured. It's an experience in your heart that the Holy Spirit performs in believers of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes there are things blocking that. There's unbelief, there's doubt, there's 
fear. There's guilt. There's what other people have told you over the years. One of the reasons we have prayer partners available to pray with you every weekend is so that if, with something like this, if you, like, I'm not experiencing the love of God, well, come and let someone who's gifted pray with you and, and see if the Lord reveals to you what's blocking that, what's blocking you from feeling and sensing that in your heart. Does that make sense? God wants all of his children to experience that. And you know, when you have, when you know in your heart that God loves you, so many things start to just fall away in your life, like the pressure to try to please people, the pressure to perform all the time for their approval, the tendency you might be, have to pretend or to hide a part of your life from others. When you're loved by God and you know it, all that stuff begins to fall away and you say, you know what, what, what you think about me, I mean, it matters a little bit, but what really matters is that God loves me and no one can take that away. There's a freedom, there's a liberation that will come into your life and sink into your soul when you get the love of God for you. And I pray that for all of us, that the Holy Spirit would pour out His love into our hearts. And we would walk out of here knowing I'm loved by a perfect being who pours His love into my heart. So there's a lot more I could say. So we're kind of peering around in the immense ocean of God's love. We'll see, number five, that God's love is also wonderful in its security. It's exceedingly wonderful in its security. It's a secure love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 1 John 3, 1. God's love has many effects, but one of the sweetest ones is that we who know Christ have been placed into a family, a forever family, the family of God. We have a new father now, new siblings, brothers and sisters, an, an older brother, a perfect older brother. Maybe the reason that this truth is so sweet to so, so many people is because we grew up in families that were messed up and dysfunctional, right? <laughs> Maybe in your family, love was only expressed as a reward, for performing well or behaving well. Maybe your parents fought and bickered all the time and there just wasn't any peace in your home. Or maybe your siblings were always at each other. Maybe your dad wasn't a reliable person. Or maybe your mom was overprotective. Or maybe discipline was too harsh. Or maybe you grew up in a home where there was physical or sexual or emotional abuse and you just wanted to get away from home. Or maybe you didn't grow up in much of a family at all. The good news of God's love is that through the cross, he is forming for himself a permanent, eternal family, a forever family. Now, we're a family in process, right? Like Craig alluded to earlier, we get into our squabbles with each other in this family of God. We get crosswise with each other just like we do in our earthly families. We're a work in progress, but we're in the family. We can take great comfort in knowing that we who know Christ are children of the Father. If you're truly in God's family today, I want you to see how durable that relationship is, how secure it is. Listen, listen to God's word. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
But neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. I mean, he's just kind of reaching around through the universe trying to find possible threats, right? Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't say he promises to shield us from all of those things, but it says he promises to, that his love will not waver as we go in and through those things. If you are in the family, nothing, no nothing in all the universe can pull you out of the family of God. That's security. We will be together forever, no matter what we are called to endure in this life. God will never disown his children. He will never kick you out of his family for your disobedience or failure. And there's no outside force strong enough to break that bond of love that God has set in place. Your place at the family table, your share of the eternal inheritance, your access to the Father is totally, completely, unassailably secure. And that's good news, isn't it? That's the beauty of the gospel. We should rejoice over that forever. Now one last thing, that's all we got time for. God's love is expressive in its nature. It's expressive. Love begets love. When you have received God's love, it cries out to be shared, to be expressed. 1 John 4 says this really beautifully. It says, beloved, that means loved ones, that's you and I, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And then verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Love begets love. Love gives birth to love. It's the nature of true love to express itself. No guy who truly loves a girl thinks, you know, I love you so much that I'm going to sit at home and do absolutely nothing to express it to you. I mean, guys do that, but that's not true love, is it? True love is expressed, begs to be expressed. It acts. In fact, that's one way we can know if God's love is truly in us, if we have an increasing desire to share that love with others. So, Love by its nature can't be contained. It's expressive. And that's what this Love Works adventure is all about, really. By the power of the Holy Spirit, taking that love of God that we have received and that is embedded in our hearts and then sharing it with others, like channels or conduits of God's love to our friends and our neighbors so that they can taste it too. And that's where we're going to be going next weekend, so I hope you don't miss next weekend. Well, we started out talking about love songs, so I'll end with one as well. I won't sing it. But when, <laughs> when I think of the love of God, my mind always goes back to a summer missions excursion that I was on when I was in college. We spent the whole summer in Manhattan Island with a team sharing the gospel with uh, the folks there. And we worked out of a church, and one of the pastors in that church was named Pastor Alex, and he was a Greek man, wonderful man, with a he had one of those voices, you know, a rich, baritone voice. 
He also had a wonderful story of how God had reached down and pulled him out of the pit, put his feet on a rock, and one night he gathered our team together and he told us his testimony. And it was glorious. And when he finished, he broke into a song. I remember, I can see his face, right? You know, tears were streaming down his cheeks. And he sang this song, and I can still see it in my mind's eye right now. Here are the words. You might know it. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. We love because he first loved us. So, let the love works begin. Let the random acts of kindness flow. Let your heart be moved with compassion, especially towards the hurting, the broken, the downcast, the outcast, the disheartened. Let your light so shine among men that your fellow human beings will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But as you do, be mindful of God's love towards you. Be ever mindful of that. Let your love for others be motivated by His love for you, and in so doing, you will reflect the very character of God, and there is no higher calling than that. So let's bow our heads in prayer together. The love of God Amazing, unfathomable, incredible. Each week during this series, I'm going to put a little box on the back of your study guide that will say Love Works Applications and just some thoughts and insights there for all of us. Today I just want to ask, are, are you all in with us on this Love Works adventure? Are you, are you all in? I hope so. And, and if you're not, I, I wonder if you could just ask yourself, why? Why am I not? What's, what's holding me back here? Today we talked about the love of God and our prayer partners are going to be available to pray with you in just a few moments. And I'm just curious, how many of you would say, God spoke to me about something this morning, something. Would you lift your hands? There's God calling right now. <laughs> lift your hands. God spoke, God had a message for me today. Okay. I think there may be um, some of you who struggle to feel God's love. You know, you know in your head, maybe you even learned it in Sunday school, but you, you, you struggle to feel loved by God and you wonder, you know, am I doing something wrong? Am I missing it? I know other people who seem to get it. You know what? Let one of these folks pray with you. Just get out of your seat and come and just say, you know, I, I believe it in my head, but I'm not sure I get it in my heart. Maybe there's something blocking it that needs to be revealed. And, this wouldn't be the first time that the Holy Spirit would be gracious and lift that right up to the surface of your consciousness so you could see what it is that's blocking it. You know that you can come and be prayed for regarding anything. 
that's in your life or that the Lord may be speaking to you about. And we're going to worship together this awesome God who loves us with relentless love. So let's stand together. Let's offer our worship to him. If you're being prompted, come and, and be prayed with as well.